It is a Sunday, a lovely Sunday. Crystal Clear here, you're listening to more Morgans. Today's episode is the third and final of three episodes in which I have been indulging in story time, sharing with you the story written by Voltaire called Micro Megas. Please send in your comments if you would like to comment on this story, even if it is to say, this is boring. Talk more about the conspiracies. In which case, I can, and I will. Okay, stay tuned for the best part of Micro Megas, the ending. Chapter 6, What Happened to Them Among Men Micromegas, a much better observer than his dwarf, clearly saw that the atoms were speaking to each other and pointed this out to his companion, who, ashamed of being mistaken about them reproducing, did not want to believe that such a species could communicate. He had the gift of language as well as the Syrian. He could not hear the atoms talk, and he supposed that they did not speak. Moreover, how could these impossibly small beings have vocal organs, and what would they have to say? To speak, one must think, more or less, but if they think, they must therefore have the equivalent of a soul. But to attribute the equivalent of a soul to this species seemed absurd to him. But, said the Syrian, you believed right away that they made love. Do you believe that one can make love without thinking and without uttering one word, or at least without making oneself heard? Do you suppose as well that it is more difficult to produce an argument than an infant? Both appear to be great mysteries to me. I do not dare believe or deny it, said the dwarf. I have no more opinions. We must try to examine these insects and reason after. That is very well said Micromegas, and he briskly took out a pair of scissors with which he cut his fingernails, and from the pairings of his thumbnail he improvised a kind of speaking trumpet, like a vast funnel, and put the end up to his ear. The circumference of the funnel enveloped the vessel and the entire crew. The weakest voice entered into the circular fibers of the nails in such a way that, thanks to his industriousness, the philosopher above could hear the drone of our insects below perfectly. In a small number of hours, he was able to distinguish words and finally to understand French. The dwarf managed to do the same, though with more difficulty. The voyager's surprise redoubled each second. They heard the mites speak fairly intelligently. This performance of nature's seemed inexplicable to them. You may well believe that the Syrian and the dwarf burned with impatience to converse with the atoms. The dwarf feared that his thunderous voice and assured Micromegas would deafen the mites without being understood. They had to diminish its force. They placed toothpicks in their mouths whose tapered ends fell around the ship. The Syrian put the dwarf on his knees and the ship with its crew on a fingernail. He lowered his head and spoke softly. Finally, relying on these precautions and many others, he began his speech like so. Invisible insects, that the hand of the creator has caused to spring up in the abyss of the infinitely small. I thank him for allowing me to uncover these seemingly impenetrable secrets. Perhaps those at my court would not deem to give you audience, but I mistrust no one and I offer you my protection. If anyone has ever been surprised, it was the people who heard these words. They could not figure out where they were coming from. 
the chaplain of the vessel recited the exorcism prayers the sailors swore, and the philosophers of the vessel constructed systems. But no matter what systems they came up with, they could not figure out who was talking. The dwarf from Saturn, who had a softer voice than Micromegas, told them in a few words what species they were dealing with. He told them about the voyage from Saturn, brought them up to speed on what Mr. Micromegas was, and after lamenting how small they were, asked them if they had always been in this miserable state so near nothingness, what they were doing on a globe that appeared to belong to whales, whether they were happy, if they reproduced, if they had a soul, and a hundred other questions of this nature. A reasoner among the troop, more daring than the others, and shocked that someone might doubt his soul, observed the interlocutor with a sight veins pointed at a quarter circle from two different stations, and at the third spoke thusly. You believe then, sir, that because you are a thousand fathoms tall from head to toe, that you are a, a thousand fathoms, cried the dwarf. Good heavens, how could he know my height? A thousand fathoms. You cannot mistake him for a flea. This Adam just measured me. He is a surveyor. He knows my size. And I, who can only see him through a microscope, I still do not know his. Yes, I measured you, said the physician, and I will measure your large companion as well. The proposition was accepted. His Excellency laid down flat, for if he were to stand upright, his head would be amongst the clouds. Our philosophers planted a great shaft on him in a place that Dr. Swift would have named, but that I will restrain myself from calling by its name out of respect for the ladies. Next, by a series of triangles linked together, they concluded that what they saw was in effect a young man of 120,000 feet. So Micromegas delivered these words. I see more than ever that one must not judge anything by its apparent size. Oh God, you who have given intelligence to substance that appears contemptible. The infinitely small costs you as little as the infinitely large. And if it is possible that there are such small beings as these, there may just as well be a spirit bigger than those of the superb animals that I have seen in the heavens, whose feet alone would cover this planet. One of the philosophers responded that he could certainly imagine that there are intelligent beings much smaller than man. He recounted not every fabulous thing Virgil says about bees. He explained finally that there are animals that are to bees what bees are to man, what the Syrian himself was for the vast animals he had spoken of, and what these large animals are to other substances before which they looked like atoms. Little by little, the conversation became interesting, and Micromegas spoke thusly. Let us begin chapter seven, conversation with the men, right after this short break. Thanks for listening, stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conversations with the Men, Chapter 7 O intelligent atoms in which the eternal being desired to make manifest his skill and his power, you must no doubt taste pure joys on your planet for having so little matter and appearing to be entirely spirit, 
You must live out your life thinking and loving the veritable life of the mind. Nowhere have I seen true bliss, but it is here without a doubt. At this, all the philosophers shook their heads, and one of them, more frank than the others, avowed that if one accepts a small number of inhabitants held in poor regard, all the rest are an assembly of mad, vicious, and wretched people. We have more substance than is necessary to do evil, if evil comes from substance, and too much spirit if evil comes from spirit. Did you know, for example, that as I am speaking with you, there are a hundred thousand madmen of our species wearing hats, killing a hundred thousand other animals wearing turbans, or being massacred by them, and that we have used almost every surface of this earth for this purpose since time immemorial? The Syrian shuddered and asked the reason for these horrible quarrels between such puny animals. It is a matter, said the philosopher, of some piles of mud as big as your heel. It is not that any of these millions of men that slit each other's throats care about this pile of mud. It is only a matter of determining if it should belong to a certain man who we call Sultan, or to another who we call, for whatever reason, Tsar. Neither one has ever seen nor will ever see the little piece of earth, and almost none of these animals that mutually kill themselves have ever seen the animal for which they kill. Oh, cruel fate! cried the Syrian with indignation. Who would conceive of this excess of maniacal rage? It makes me want to take three steps and crush this whole anthill of ridiculous assassins. Do not waste your time, someone responded. They are working towards ruin quickly enough. Know that after ten years only one hundredth of these scoundrels will be here. Know that even if they have not drawn swords, hunger, fatigue, or intemperance will overtake them. Furthermore, it is not that they should be punished. It is those sedentary barbarians who, from the depths of their offices, order, while they are digesting their last meal, the massacre of a million men, and who subsequently give solemn thanks to God. The voyager was moved with pity for the small human race, where he was discovering such surprising contrast. Since you are amongst the small number of wise men, he told these sirs, and since apparently you do not kill anyone for money, tell me, I beg of you, what occupies your time? We dissect flies, said the philosopher. We measure lines, we gather figures, we agree with each other on two or three points that we do not understand. It suddenly took the Syrian and the Saturnians fancy to question these thinking atoms to learn what it was they agreed on. What do you measure, said the Saturnian, from the dog star to the great star of the Gemini? They responded all at once. Thirty-two and a half degrees. What do you measure from here to the moon? Sixty radii of the earth even. How much does your air weigh? He thought he had caught them, but they all told him that air weighed around nine hundred times less than an identical volume of the purest water and nineteen thousand times less than a gold ducat. The little dwarf from Saturn, surprised at their responses, was tempted to accuse of witchcraft the same people he had refused a soul fifteen minutes earlier. Finally, Micromegas said to them, Since you know what is exterior to you so well, you must know what is interior even better. Tell me what your soul is and how you form ideas. The philosophers spoke all at once as before, but they were of different views. The oldest cited Aristotle, another pronounced the name of Descartes. An old peripatetic spoke up with confidence. The soul is an entelechy, and a reason gives it the power to be what it is. This is what Aristotle expressly declares, page 633 of the Louvre edition. 
He cited the passage. Here is the passage, such as it is transcribed in the edition 1750. I do not understand Greek very well, said the giant. Neither do I, said the philosophical might. Why then, Syrian retorted, are you citing some man named Aristotle in the Greek? Because, replied the savant, one should always cite what one does not understand at all in the language one understands the least. The Cartesian took the floor and said, The soul is a pure spirit that has received in the belly of its mother all metaphysical ideas, and which, leaving that place, is obliged to go to school and to learn all over again what it already knew and will not know again. It is not worth the trouble, responded the animal with the height of eight leagues. For your soul to be so knowledgeable in its mother's stomach, only to be so ignorant when you have hair on your chin, but what do you understand by the mind? You are asking me, said the reasoner. I have no idea. We say that is not matter. But you, but do you at least know what matter is? Certainly, replied the man. For example, the stone is gray, has such and such a form, has three dimensions, is heavy and divisible. Well, said the Syrian, this thing that appears to you to be divisible, heavy and gray, will tell me what it is. Will you tell me what it is? You see some attributes, but behind those, are you familiar with that? No, said the other. Since you do not know what matter is... So Micromegus, addressing another sage that he held on a thumb, asked what his soul was and what it did. Nothing at all. God does everything for me. I see everything in him. I do everything in him. It is he who does everything that I get mixed up in. It would just as well not to exist, retorted the sage of Sirius. And you, my friend, he said to a Leibnizian who was there, what is your soul? It is the hand of a clock that tells the time while my body rings out. Or if you like, it is my soul that rings out while my body tells the time. Or my soul is the mirror of the universe and my body is the border of the mirror. All that is clear. A small partisan of Locke was nearby and when he was finally given the floor, I do not know how I think, but how I know that I have only ever thought through my senses that there are immaterial and intelligent substances I do not doubt, but that it is impossible for God to communicate thought to matter I doubt very much. I revere the eternal power. It is not my place to limit it. I affirm nothing and content myself with believing that many more things are possible than one would think. The animal from Sirius smiled. He did not find this the least bit sage, while the dwarf from Saturn would have kissed the sectarian of Locke were it not for the extreme disproportion. But there was, unfortunately, a little animalcule in a square hat who interrupted all the other animalcules philosophers. He said that he knew the secret, that everything would be found in the Summa of St. Thomas. He looked the two celestial inhabitants up and down. He argued that their people, their worlds, their suns, their stars had all been made uniquely for mankind. At this speech, our two voyagers nearly fell over with inextinguishable laughter, which, according to Homer, is shared with the gods. Their shoulders and their stomachs heaved up and down, and in these convulsions, the vessel that the Syrian had on his nail fell into one of the Saturnian's trouser pockets. 
These two good men searched for it a long time, found it finally, and tidied it up neatly. The Syrian resumed his discussion with the little mites. He spoke to them with great kindness, although in the depths of his heart he was a little angry that the infinitely small had an almost infinitely great pride. He promised to make them a beautiful philosophical book written very small for their usage and said that in this book they would see the point of everything. Indeed, he gave them this book before leaving. It was taken to the Academy of Science in Paris, but when the ancient secretary opened it, he saw nothing but blank pages. Ah, he said, I suspected as much. The End